Hey y'all, I just wanted to give you a heads up that this week's episode is going to be a two-parter. So it's this month's episode. Maybe I'll put it out actually one this episode and one next week too so that you don't have to wait too long in between. I hate when that happens, don't you? Anyway, my guest Tom and I, we chatted about ADHD and police interactions. As you're going to find out, he is an ex-police officer and he had a lot to say and a lot of really interesting views from the cop side of things. But if you're anything like me, your interaction with police officers in the past may be nothing but a train wreck. And at one point we talked about having a card that lets them know, the police officers, that you have ADHD and that... You may have a tick, you may avoid eye contact. The things that we do that would make us look very sketchy or potentially under the influence, but to have that card and to keep that card on top of your license registration, what you typically hand to them so that they can be prepared, that you don't have to explain, it doesn't look like you're trying to get out of anything. I don't know. It's absolutely only a suggestion. This has not been tried. It is not proven. So please, if you decide to utilize this advice or suggestion, do so at your own risk, whatever you feel comfortable. With that being said, I actually made a card that you can order. I will have more details for you that later. The patrons of the Neurodivergent Nurse, however, you can download it for free. And I'm going to have it available somewhere. Like I said, I'll add the link where you can download it. You can print it out if you want to for a small fee. And also if you want to order it to look like maybe a business card, I'm going to have that available for you too. So if it's something you're interested in, get in touch with me or keep an eye out for that information. And I hope you really enjoy the next two episodes of The Neurodivergent Nurse. Warning, this episode of The Neurodivergent Nurse does contain explicit language and adult content. So if you have little ears or if you are someone who is not a big fan of hearing colorful language, then this episode is not for you. Testing, testing. Still way too loud. Can you get Jamie? Can you please come get Ellie? Okay, let's try the skin. You're listening to the Neurodivergent Nurse, and I'm your host, Jamie. I'm a registered nurse who has ADHD. On this podcast, we will talk all things ADHD. I'm really just beginning to learn about this diagnosis and how to navigate through it. But I am so excited to take you on this messy and raw journey with me so that we can learn together. So let's get started. Welcome to another week of the Neurodivergent Nurse. So this week, I have a guest on that I met at the Nurses PodCon November 2021. I guess that's what it seems like it was so much longer, though, doesn't it? It does. But now that you say it like that, it feels like it was both yesterday and a year ago somehow. I'm like, I don't know how that, that happens. Sense. Yeah. But Tom, he hosts a podcast that he'll tell you about in just a second. But he has come on as a guest for today. He is a nurse practitioner and he also has a history. He was a police officer in his previous life, <laughs> in his previous profession. And I thought that he was a great person to bring on. Because of the statistics related to people with ADHD and the trouble that we sometimes have whenever it comes to law enforcement. But Tom, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself along with telling us about your podcast? 
Yeah. So Tom lived in Ohio currently, lived everywhere. My father was in the military. So I think that also gave me a much different perspective on life growing up when you're the new person every two years. It tends to color how you see the world, like lived in foreign countries, had a great time. I enjoy it now. Did not enjoy it so much when I was a kid, let's be honest. So grew up doing that. Kind of always knew I wanted to be law enforcement, military, because everybody in my family is law enforcement or military. And all the women tend to be nurses. They we either marry nurses or my aunts are just nurses. So when we came back to home to visit, that's what everybody I knew, that's what they did. I just really always had that drive to, if somebody was doing something bad, I wanted to make sure that they went to jail so they didn't do something bad to somebody else. And I mean, realistically, at the end of the day, that's what it was. It wasn't really anything else. It was just this like, hey, I want to do something good for my community. I ended up doing police work for nine years and I ended as the assistant chief at my department. I had a great time, great men and women that I worked with, but well, over time, mental health really took a toll and I saw enough and did enough stuff that I decided I needed to help my community in a different way. And so I went into nursing and I started off as an ICU nurse at a level two trauma facility, had a great time, learned a lot. Boy, that was not the way I would ever tell a new nurse to jump out into the world is, hey, just stick your foot right into a meat grinder. Not really the way I would do it, but I did. I learned a lot. I had great teachers, came back, became an ER nurse, ended up running a trauma program, and uh, I just kept wanting to know more. So eventually a friend of mine, Ben, he's also co-host of a podcast with me. He was a, he's a nurse practitioner. He's like, bro, you need to take that leap. It sucks, but you need to take that leap. So I did and got my nurse practitioner. And one day I said, Hey, we should start a podcast. He said, no, we shouldn't. I live like half the country away from you. And somehow we ended up in a podcast and now here we are. I got to meet you in Nashville at PodCon and found out how terrible Alabama fans really, really are <laughs> on the inside. No, I'm kidding. But no, that's kind of that's kind of the progression through my life is it wasn't really a big plan. It just kind of happened that way and had a great time. We do two podcasts now. We do one, an educational podcast for healthcare professionals called Just Some Podcast for Advanced Practitioners. And we just started a new one for medical. Well, it's more of mystery. Like it started off as medical mysteries and stuff like that, but we just keep evolving. And now we just cover anything we find interesting and it's called We'll Continue to Monitor. And that's been a eye-opener because it's completely different than what we do for just some podcasts. So having to learn how to podcast again when you've already been doing it for a couple of years is a new experience. That's also weird. And then we actually helped produce two other podcasts. So uh, Nurse Papa with David. Fantastic. He's lovely. Yes, he is a great guy. He got really small hands and he plays a ukulele. So that's great. <laughs> but, you know, other than that, I mean, he's a great guy. And then Pollyanna Amazing does sex therapy on Buried Pleasures. And she is, she's got that voice and that demeanor that you just start talking to her. And then like six minutes later, you realize you're divulging like, a dark secret you didn't think you would tell anybody, but she just is like laughing and like, no, tell me more. <laughs> you find yourself talking to her. So I've really been lucky so far in my career. I feel like I've hit all the right spots and I'm just happy to be where I'm at currently. Very so that's cool. kind of that's kind of the long route back to where we're at now. 
But I feel like that was definitely the Reader's Digest version of it. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of things that happened in between, but yeah. I'm just curious, what type of ICU nurse were you? Like, what type of ICU nursing did you do before you worked in the emergency department? So the hospital I was at really only had two ICUs. And I know a lot of other hospitals, they break it down to like a trauma ICU, a surgical ICU, neuro ICU, medical ICU. This place had two. We had ICU and CVI. And so while it sucked, especially being a new nurse, you know, it was not uncommon to have a ICP monitor and patient one and patient two is a post-STEMI. Like what? Like I just, you never knew. What, mm-hmm. what you were going to get. And it could be some kind of weird mix and match. Some days, both of your patients would be, you know, intubated, sedated. And then the next day you come in and one's an amputee and the next one's, you know, some other, you're like, what the hell? So it, it was a great teaching tool because after doing that, when I went to the ER at the smaller hospital, I really felt like there's nothing you're going to throw at me. Right. Now, it's, it's a different environment. And again, I would be happy to talk. That's a whole other conversation for another day, ICU versus ER. Because honestly, I feel like they're as far apart on the spectrum as you can get. And I did float for a while. I mean, I didn't mention that because it was a very short period, but I did float pool in another hospital for a short period of time. So I'd done med surge. I've done all the others. But ICU is like a classical symphony. It's well constructed. Usually everybody knows their parts. Everybody knows every little detail. We know what's coming up. We know what's happening. It's your job to play the music. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. ER is a, wow, it is a uncontrolled mosh pit at a punk concert. Like That is no on clue. fire yes, <laughs> at the same is, time. That's, yes, that someone set the stage on fire. <laughs> yeah. You know, there is no rhythm. You don't know if you're getting punched or kicked or lifted up in the air. You don't know what's about to happen next. But you also know the basic boundaries. And that's one of the things I found comforting about ER is, okay, I don't know what's going to come in the door next, but I know what I have to treat it. And so I never bothered myself with, when I was in ICU, I wanted to control everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I did control everything. Versus in ER, I learned how to give up that control and just learn how to focus on what I could do right in front of me, which is weirdly enough, what I would train new officers when I trained police officers is you got to look at the word like concentric circles. And so like you have a three foot circle, a 10 foot circle, you know, exactly go out. And if it's outside of that three foot circle, when you're in an emergency, then don't worry about it. Fuck it. Like it's not on your plate. It is not bothering you. Don't deal with it. And that's a lot how ER was like when I would train a new ER nurse, it'd be like, Hey, if it's not bothering you this second and you're in a code, then don't worry about it. You know, Mrs. Jones and 278 will get ibuprofen later. Don't worry about it. (laughs) They will get her the cup of ice. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of just how I've had to reframe 
my brain a couple times, like just be like, well, I can't because I'm back to the opposite. Now I have to look at the 10,000 foot view because I'm taking care of patients long right. management. You know, it's the same plan. I've done the same plan. I just had to reevaluate where I see the world from. So it's worked out well for me so far. And full disclosure for anyone listening to this episode of the podcast, I really wanted to have Tom on here because like I mentioned earlier, if you really look at the criminal system, there are a lot of individuals who are criminals that have ADHD. Statistically speaking, about 26 to 50% of prisoners have ADHD. Now, while we talk about this, it is not something that we condone criminal activity. It is not something that we're trying to help you figure out how to get out of the crime. This is just our opinion and from his stance of what he has experienced too over what is appropriate and what is difficult. Because I know that those of us with neurodivergency on any level, we see the world a little bit differently. So these are just some things for us to be aware of, but definitely not something that you should base your lifestyle or anything else on. Again, I think Anytime you can help somebody, you should help them. And here's the crazy part, okay, is you just had to put out that preface, and I'm glad you did, and I appreciate it. But weirdly enough, I would tell you the overwhelming majority of police officers would be happy. They'd be like, no, I don't want to have a bad interaction with you. So please, if it helps you to know or please tell me something up front then I think this is actually a good educational tool. And my wife is ADHD, you know? So like, I trust me, this is something I live with. You know, I talk to you pretty frequently. I'm like, oh, I deal with this on a daily basis. And I think police officers look at the world way different. And I think that's one of the things we're going to talk about, obviously. But when you're the police officer, you can only, again, you control that small circle. So if you are the person with ADHD or any other mental health condition and you know it, going into the interaction with the police officer, you actually have the advantage. Like you can set the table of how that interaction is going to go a lot better than that police officer because the police officer assumes every person is the same. And so you're not. And while the police officer is smart enough to know that every person's not the same, realistically, both our training and our interactions just teach us you treat everybody the same to start with, and then you kind of see where things go. And I think that's where a lot of the misconception goes into. And I think that's where a lot of miscommunications and tragedies, unfortunately, they unfold from right off the beginning. They unfold from the minute there's contact. And I think if you're listening to this and you want a better interaction with police officers, if that's something that concerns you, then I really think that this is a good thing to listen to and understand that the police officer, again, there's bad police officers in the world. There are. Okay. But there's about everyone in the world, yeah, every yeah. job, every. Yeah. A hundred percent. And unfortunately right now, as nursing is about to start learning, I think with all the criminal charges coming against nurses, every police officer feels like they're a target. Sure. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. And that's not an excuse for some of the actions you'll see in videos, but that's where you need to understand. That's where the police officer is coming from. He is viewing you as a threat. And so understanding that coming into the conversation, if you're the person that's calm and you're like, I know I have ADHD. So like, here's what I can do to have a better interaction with the police officer, because 
unfortunately, this is another thing society has shown is, well, the cops should just know. I, you're right. I wish that was possible, but they don't. So if a conversation includes two people, <laughs> the cops only one of the two. You are the other person. So it is also incumbent on you to have a good conversation with the police officer. And I think, unfortunately, that is part of the messaging that is lost. And I'm not saying that the police officer is always right. I bleed blue. Let's be upfront. I do. But I've seen plenty in the past couple of years that I cringe. And I'm like, oh, that that didn't have to go that way or it could have gone better or it didn't have to end like this. And unfortunately, it did. And so hopefully, I said we're hopefully a lot, but that's because it's true. If this helps anybody, then I'll be happy. And Tom, too, before we like jump into all of this, he was someone that I really wanted to bring on here because like I said, we've known each other from, from like November or so, but we have had the opportunities to talk a lot about social issues. We have had the opportunity to be able to have conversations about how we feel society is going for marginalized communities, for all different areas. And to me, my perception, he is a person that is very open and sees things from an objective lens. And I think that probably being a nurse practitioner now has really helped with that, that you can step away to see what's good, what's bad, that you, we all have bias, but I think that you can easily point out what's good, what's right, what could be better in all situations, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on here, because you're not just going to be defensive the whole time, but honestly, try to be more helpful to those of us that may struggle in this area and knowing what to do. Well, and there is a lot of people that are going to struggle and that's unfortunate, but at the end of the day, the openness, first of all, you are correct. Like some of it's just inherent. Like you have to be more open. You have to consider a lot of facts. I feel like I was like, like this a lot though, ever since I was a police officer, I don't feel like this is totally new to me. I think the difference is, though, is confidence in your training and your yourself. And honestly, that to me is the biggest problem in law enforcement going forward. And, and again, that's personal. Like, that is just me. But when I look at everything that's going on in America, I think a lot of it is these officers, they don't know. They don't know. And so it leads to split-second decisions that are poor. And that's unfortunate. And I also, even when I was a police officer, even when I was the assistant chief, if there's something we could do better, then I felt like we need to openly embrace it, acknowledge it and do it. Like it was never a, well, we always did it this way. So we'll just go back to, no, no, no. If there was something new and better, I really felt the entire time we should adapt it. Good Lord. <clears throat> Adopt it and embrace it and make it part of what we do. So and that's just how I looked at the world. So I'm, I appreciate you saying all those nice things, but hopefully we can get more people thinking that way. I agree. So a couple statistics to talk about right before we get started and jump in that I found through doing the research and preparing for this episode, men with childhood ADHD are two to three times at greater risk of being arrested, convicted, or incarcerated in adulthood than the quote unquote, like average American, those who are neurotypical, which is, you know, very interesting. And also we probably recognize, understand that 
people with ADHD also have a higher percentage of substance use disorder than neurotypical people as well. And we all know the symptoms of ADHD in so many of us, like our impulsiveness. We know that we are risk takers. We know that we don't have the best concept of the future. It's now or not now. And so all of those things may increase the chances of us speeding, reckless (laughs) driving. You know, I mean, that's just a, a reality of us. And a lot of times we also have a problem with authority if rules don't always make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so again, first of all, all that sounds 100% correct. All right. And that would be very much in line. Why would I with, say it if it wasn't correct, Tom? Well, okay. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I would never assume anything less, Jamie. But I guess what I mean is far too often the picture of an interaction between a police officer and somebody is a young male. All right. White, black, Hispanic doesn't really matter. The point is when you think of a car stop, unless you're thinking of it in your first person view, generally people go, oh, well, he stopped. And that's what they picture as a young guy. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Let's be fair. Regardless of ADHD or not, young men don't really make a lot of great decisions all the time. So Mm -hmm. that's uh, having been a former young man, (laughs) like that's, that is just part of growing up. But as you point out, impulsiveness, difficulty with authority and a couple other things that come as a side effect of ADHD really potentiate your interaction. Okay. And again, going back to the beginning is I think a lot of times there's also misunderstanding on the receiving end. So when I showed up and you were a 15 year old kid and you were just in a car wreck and I knew it was for something dumb. If I was mad, it wasn't because I felt like I could push a 15-year-old kid around. It's because I've already worked three scenes where the kid's dead. And so to be like, oh my God, you like it's hard because when you're the person in the scene, to you, it's just like it's just like when you're an ER nurse and you have somebody come in. To them, it's the worst day ever. It is, oh my God, no one's ever had a worse day than this. And I'm like, this is my Tuesday. You know, this is what I see every day. And that doesn't diminish that person's you know, feelings. It's just saying, okay, to you, this is the worst case in the world, or this is the worst thing in the world, or that 15 year old kid that wrecked because he was speeding and racing his friends. Oh, it's the worst thing in the world. I've done this. I probably have done it already this shift. And so when the cop gets there and there's anger, sometimes it's not anger at the kid for like, oh my God, you're stupid. It's anger as in, I have a, a kid at home. And when I come work the scene, I'm seeing my kid in that car. And so I can't tell you how many cops, like, that's also a real emotion is I don't want to tell your parents you're dead. I've told parents that their kid is dead. I've told wives that their husband is dead. I've told everybody, everybody they know in some way, shape or form has died. And it is never, it's not something I liked doing then. It's certainly not something I want to do now. And so I think that there is this misunderstanding that when a cop shows up and they're in a bad mood, it's mostly because they are trying to push around their authority or something like that. Honestly, in a case like that, where it's a 15 year old kid in a wreck because he did something stupid. Now, granted, if it's a deer ran out into the road or something like that, you're like, Hey, you can't control that. You know? Okay. But if it's like, Oh, I was racing my friends and we were both on motorcycles and now I'm taking care of one 
because he wrecked. And then, you know, he ends up dying. When you're talking to the other kids, you're angry because you're like, that could have been, you know, Mm -hmm. I realized that could have been you. So I think sometimes that there is a misconception on attitude and that does not dismiss or make the officers not responsible. Like if they're acting unprofessional, then you absolutely should tell them they're acting unprofessional. But is that allowed? Well, yes. Yes, it is. Okay, but again, I think there's context. Again, if the cop is in the middle of being like, hey, kid, you could have died like and he's freaked out. That's probably not the time to tell him he's a bad person, like because he's like, wait, I only care about your health and well-being. Now, if he's like saying something mean or, you know, whatever, again, I every situation is a little different. But I guess what I'm trying to get across is that the police officer responding is also a human being. And there may be a lot other context going on than just that. Now, going back to that, those side effects, the impulsiveness, sometimes, you know, decision-making abilities and stuff like that. That also goes back to when you're talking to the police officer, some of the things that we're watching for to see like, hey, how is this person responding to questions? Naturally, you are going to have a skewed you know, take on how things are going, or it's going to skew. I should, let me say that better. It's going to skew how the police officer is viewing you. So if I'm sitting here and I'm trying to talk to you and you're fidgeting and you're doing all this stuff instantaneously, my thought is flash stimming. Yeah. Yeah. My, my first thought's going to be, are they under the effects of something? You know, are they high? Are they drunk? That's my job though. That's my job Mm -hmm. as a police officer is to question you. And I think that's also one of the things that leads to, static between the person and i don't ever want to say the defendant or something because that implies they're guilty they're they're not but the person at the scene the police officer and this person there can naturally be static because you are sitting there going like you know okay so i'm adhd and i'm highly stimulated and now i'm freaked out sitting there freaking out is not uncommon okay and i think we're trembling (laughs) yes yes and again would tell you Again, I feel the overwhelming majority of officers understand. However, that is something we're trained to look for. Mm -hmm, Sure. So I think that's where that inherent antagonism comes in because you're freaked out and you don't want to answer questions. But I'm looking at it as, was there a reason? Because guess what? I know you don't want to hear it. And I'm sorry, I'm pointing to you. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you're also correct. (laughs) You as the person on the scene, though. You fail to remember society is paying me to question you. You know, that's, I used to feel terrible. This is an inside, I guess, secret. When I first started as a police officer, I hated writing tickets. I hated it. Oh my God, it felt so terrible. I'd walk up to a car and you'd see the person's obviously scared and they don't want to pay $130 for speeding. And, you know, and I was like, oh, I just feel terrible. And then a friend of mine's brother, not even my friend's brother was like, hey, how are things going? And I told him one day and he goes, you know, I pay you to make traffic safe, right? Get your ass the fuck out there and write tickets. And when I thought about it, I was like, he's a hundred percent right. Like that is what you are paying me to do. You are paying me to go out and enforce laws and make traffic safe for everybody. So that was one of those light bulb moments for me, honestly, because when people are like, well, why are you treating me like this? I'm like, I'm not treating you like anything. I am trying to make traffic society, everybody's safer. That's literally my job is to go. They paid me. They trained me to investigate. Now I'm trying to investigate. And so I think if you are the person that's freaked out 
and you should be, and it's okay to be freaked out. But if you remember, the police officer is literally trying to do his job. Like imagine being in the ER and you're having a heart attack, but you're afraid of needles. So you tell the nurse, no, you can't stick me with an IV. Well, then why are you here? You know, like what, like, what am I supposed to do? That is honestly a very common question when people refuse care that would help them be able to get the best results for sure. And so again, stepping back into the law enforcement ring is, well, if I'm taught and we know that there are certain drugs like methamphetamine that can cause certain side effects and I'm looking at you and you're sitting there trembling and you're fidgeting and you can't sit still. And I'm like, okay, well, you know. Have you taken any drugs instead of being mad, which I'm not saying you're not a human being, you're allowed to be mad, but realize that's literally his job is to ascertain if something illegal or unsafe happened and then enforce that law. So unfortunately, there is always going to be, I think, some inherent built in antagonism between society and police because they want to do what they want and we're trying to stop them. And so I think. If you can try and keep that in mind, that they are literally here trying to help you, believe it or not, and keep everybody else safe, maybe that can help, you know, with your view. So when would be a good time? For example, we'll use a a, a real life personal example. I was pulled over one time in Massachusetts. And I'm going to be honest, any type, even if my manager calls me and says, I need to talk to you, I will tremble. I am terrified of getting in trouble. Like I feel so much shame if someone tells me like, you're not wearing the right color shoes. Rejection sensitivity dysphoria is so real for those of us with ADHD. And so when you get in trouble for even the most Minor thing, it makes you feel like you are a worthless person, period. It's just what we do internally. It doesn't mean that it's good. Obviously, it's not at all. But I remember on the report, this officer made note of how I was shaking and thought that it was because I was under the influence of something, not terrified that they're not being kind to me in this situation, right? And then They ask in the South, they will ask for your license, registration, and insurance. Those are the three. So I always keep those together in the glove box. Well, he asked for my license and registration. I handed him all three. So that was another strike because I didn't comprehend correctly what he was asking. So when is the appropriate time to explain? Because like once the report is already written, that's not the time to say, Time out when you're in court. (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay. So when do you want to talk to the officer about it is the question. Yeah. Well, so because I was going to say a couple things. First of all, stepping out of is from a third person, non-judgmental to any person involved type of view. The officer's job at that point is to report objective findings or reviews. Okay. So, and again, that is as much as a protection for most people as it is a trying to get somebody in trouble thing. All right. And I know that's hard for people to understand, but hopefully I'll explain it better here in a second, but what their first job is to report objectively, not what I think I can see your hands trembling. So I'm going to put her hands were trembling, you know, all this information that is fact. It is not an opinion because first of all, a that's their job is to report that B is that helps you. If 
this turns out to not be anything. So for example, if he did think you were under the influence of something, but objectively he's like, well, she had hand trembling, but not, you know, any other factors that actually helps you. Then he goes, okay, she's not under suspicion anymore. Move on. So I think a lot of time people always assume it's to build a case. They're not wrong as long as there's a case to build. Okay. So the majority of officers, and again, I was a, you know, I was a certified highway drug interdiction officer. So when I'm talking to you and I'm asking you these questions, I will take note. Oh, she's telling me the truth. She's very quick on answers, but she is trembling. So those are all objective facts. She clearly wasn't being deceptive in how she was talking to me. She clearly was answering all my questions clear and concisely, but she did have that one trembling motion, which could be indication of a bunch of other things. In my view, I'd probably go, and again, this is just general blanket, you know, for this conversation. You go, oh, well, she doesn't meet my criteria. Let her go. On the other hand, if I'm talking to you, your hands are trembling, but you're not really answering any questions. You're not wanting to tell me where you went to or where you're going, you know, stuff like that. It starts to go, okay, I think that this needs more investigation. And that's generally why those things are noted first. As far as when to tell the police officer, honestly, the sooner the better. If good you to know. That, that's really yes. good to know. <clears throat> now, and here's where things all here's where things go into it is you may not want him to know that information. And I don't mean that as in, I'm just saying some people just don't want to divulge their Absolutely. personal information. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. That's why I kind of giggled. And when you're like, well, that's not really the time I'm like, kind of is though, that's your lawyer's job. Okay. So that's what this ultimately comes down to. If, if you are charged and you're going to court, then that that officer's objective list of findings is the proof. Like, well, yeah, she was trembling. She was scared shitless. Like those are facts that can lead you the way. And I think, again, that's one of those things that people gloss over. They're like, well, he wrote down my hands were trembling. Okay, but did he write anything else? If he left it at just that's literally his job. You know, she was scared. She was huddled on the side. She didn't say she had any injuries, you know, blah, 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 whatever. The point is like all those types of information should be in the report. So if your lawyer gets that and he goes, well, the only thing he said was your hand was trembling. We can explain that away. It's the totality of everything that the officer Mm -hmm. is trying to build on. So I think the sooner that you get it into the conversation, like, hey, I understand I'm a little fidgety and everything, but I have ADHD and I am like really stimulated right now. And this is really bad for my mental health. Even if that does not immediately process into the officer's brain, and let's be fair, I'll tell you right now, officers don't get any training on ADHD, very little with mental health in general, Mm -hmm. which is a crime within itself, but we can talk about that later. But the point is, do not expect them to understand or recognize your condition. Okay. There are trained medical professionals that can't. An officer that gets Absolutely. zero to little training is not going to. So the sooner you can lay the groundwork and say, hey, officer, you need to know that this is part of why I'm freaking out is I have this mental health diagnosis and this is part of what you know my side effects are, that will also help. And even if he doesn't note it into the report, that's okay. If it does go to court, you can say, well, I told the officer 30 minutes into this, you know, I had ADHD. If he doesn't factor that in, that's his fault. That's not your fault. So that's why I try and tell people is the more information they have, the sooner they have it and that they can put it all together. Because again, very rarely are they going to make a judgment off one fact. They're trying to look at all the facts. 
Okay. So let's just say we're at the scene of a wreck. Well, if you're at the wreck, was it caused by an animal? No, it wasn't. Okay. Were you speeding? Oh, you weren't? Okay. So that's what I'm saying is it kind of leads to all the facts, Mm -hmm. not just one thing. If you're going to bring it up and you feel comfortable giving that information, the sooner the better. And I do think that's also great advice because also I don't like to bring attention, just me personally as Jamie, you know, if I get pulled over, like I don't want to bring attention to the fact that I'm terrified. I don't want to bring attention to the fact that my mind goes absolutely blank. You know, there, there have been checkpoints before where you've had to do a field sobriety test. And one Mm of the, one of the field sobriety tests was, okay, say the alphabet starting with F. I have no idea what comes after F at that point. My terror internally, I cannot process or think clearly I really appreciate that and the way that you laid it out too, to be able to have that conversation, say, hey, I know that my hands are trembling. I have ADHD. I have a history of like panic attacks in these situations where my mind goes blank. I just want you to be aware of that while we're interacting. I think that is a great, great recommendation if someone feels comfortable sharing that, especially if we have the blanket of every person we stop could potentially be harmed to us as a police officer. But for them to have insight, especially if this is part of a reason why diagnosis is great, because if you do have that official diagnosis, heaven forbid that it actually goes to court or whatever, but like you can show that, that was actually true and real and symptoms of the disorder. So, yeah. So you brought up a lot of stuff that is really good to talk about. So first of all, Unfortunately, I did train police officers. You know, I was involved in writing, you know, regulations for our department with training officers, and that felt great. But to assume every officer has the same legal, ethical, and moral integrity of everybody else is incorrect. Okay. So I'm trying to talk on the behalf of the majority of officers. Is somebody listening to this right now going to run into a real dickhead? Yes, it's going to happen. It's unfortunate. I'm sorry. What I'm trying to do is set the stage for the 99% of the time, all right? That's it. One of the things you brought up, and I was like, that is 100% correct, is literally, I can tell you right now, I will tell you the same first two things I taught every officer I trained, every person that rode in my patrol car, literally, first two things. Rule one, and that's literally what it's called, rule one, is we go home alive. And when you're working in a job where that literally has to be rule one, that should tell you something, okay? Rule one is I go home alive. You go home alive. Rule two is everything else is fucking backseat to rule one, okay? So at the end of the day, as long as we're safe, that's what the overwhelming sense I was trying to get to police officers was be safe, okay? If you don't think it's safe, don't do it. There you go. I mean, that's literally what it is. And the reason that's important is because of what you just said. When that officer is walking up to your car, let's do a car stop. Let's talk about car stops for a second. So that officer walking up to your car is a thousand times more terrified than you are. Guaranteed, okay? For a lot of reasons. First of all, he doesn't know what he's walking up to. He has no clue. Second of all, even if you are kosher, And everything about you is totally cool. You're like, ah, yeah, I was going eight over. Here's my license, my proof of insurance, my registration. Guess what? Traffic. I have to keep watching traffic because I personally have been hit by a car on a traffic stop. 
Okay. So, I mean, it, it was a very minor side swipe, but it could have killed me. You know, I mean, and I am not alone in any way, shape or form, you know, so I have to worry about you. I have to worry about your occupants. I have to worry about what's in your car. I have to worry about where we're at. I have to worry about other traffic. That's five things that all can kill me. And that's just like, I turned on my lights and pulled you over. Okay. So, so when people are like, well, I was scared of the cop. Yeah. Well, let me tell you that cop has got a lot on his mind as he's pulling you over. So that's the start of the stop. Okay. Imagine every time you go into a room to start an ID, you're like, this person's going to try and kill me. Mm -hmm. That is a really hard spot. (laughs) And unfortunately, and that's one of the things we talked about earlier with confidence. Unfortunately, these officers that never grow any confidence, they aren't able to completely overcome that. I think like never was not afraid, but you have to learn walking up to the car, trust in yourself, your equipment, your training, and what you're going to do. And I don't know that every officer gets that level. So that's why I was also trying to preface this with do not assume everybody, you know, gets the same level of training. Some people like myself, I, I took my own vacation to go to training courses. I did. I spent my own money on extra ammunition to practice shooting at the range. I took a heavy investment in myself and my capabilities. Not everybody does that. So having said all that, when that cop is walking up to your car, if you think the worst thing in his world is you going 38, you know, in a 25, it's not, okay? Realistically, that's probably the most minor thing he's going to deal with that date. But I understand and I hear what you're saying, that you are terrified. So hopefully recognizing that that cop is in just the same position you are as he's walking up to your car can help set the stage. Because that goes back to, oh, I forgot my insurance out. If you would like to contribute to this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the neurodivergent nurse, where you can get exclusive bonus episodes, scripted the show prior to the release, uncut video interviews of the guests, input on upcoming shows and ideas, and even more. Also, be sure to follow the neurodivergent nurse on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with someone that you think could also benefit from the neurodivergent nurse. And go ahead while you have time and while you're thinking about it and rate it and leave a review five stars on your favorite listening platform so that other people can find the show easily as well and i hope you have a wonderful week and i can't wait to talk to you again